There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Our next point we've reached is Guy Hamilton, the director. So the producers originally wanted to have Diamonds Are Forever recreate commercial, commercially successful aspects of Goldfinger. I think it's that whole, which would it would come quite a lot, wouldn't it? You've had one which hasn't done quite as well if it was a bit more serious, or so we'll go a bit more populist, or one's got a bit too silly, right, we'll go darker. And that's that's been the whole way through the series really so they thought all right we'll get we'll get guy hamilton back he'd obviously turn them down since goldfinger peter hunts as we've mentioned already this is the first one that he declined to be involved with and i think he was invited before hamilton so again it's another myth isn't it that oh he didn't do a very good job so we'll bin him off he was asked to direct at one stage certainly but i think he was he was on another project and if the production date was postponed he could have done it but it didn't work out so Honor Majesty's was the last film he was involved in, wasn't can it? I, can I, yeah. I mean, a bit of speculation here, Tom. I might have absolutely nothing to back this up. But do you wonder if there is an element of it is that because of his previous background as an editor and Connery has been this big star, and the thing with Lazenby is, is that you're directing a novice at the time and unheard of, and he's had a lot of trouble there, like on set apparently and all the rest of it. Do you think there's an, an element that... Hunt's thinking, Connery's coming back. I've never been a director to Connery before. Yeah. I may have problems here in terms of directing such a massive such a massive name. This is complete speculation. But I it just I just wonder that I find it funny that that was it for yeah. then. Do you know what I mean? It just seems an odd it just seems very abrupt. I'd love to know what the yeah. Broccoli's and Wilson's they don't really mention him that often, do they? Like I think Chris, you've mentioned, you know, Steven Soderbergh in particular, just is saying what a massive visionary of cinema he was, and we, you know, we we love Honor Majesties now, and we've seen mm. how much of that is owed to Peter Hunt. But yeah, Peter Hunt's Diamonds Are Forever revenge thriller, my word. Yeah, oh. but you wouldn't have had this. So it's, I, <laughs> I don't know the ins and outs of 
Yeah, I don't know the ins and outs of why Peter Hunt left. And, you know, it's actually quite difficult to pin that down. Someone out there might have a clear-cut explanation, but I've never no. never come across one. But it's an interesting theory of of John's that... Or maybe he just kind of felt like he'd kind of been there, done it, bought the T-shirt. Maybe... I mean, he, did, he stayed on good terms with the Bond people. He's on all those yeah, documentaries, he is, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Of uh, the John Cork documentaries. And, um, and I think he did... He helped... John Glenn at some point again in his career. I thought I always find it interesting, and this is something of a tangent, but you know, John Glenn was kind of involved from Honor Majesty's onwards, and it's interesting how editors often make the best Bond yeah. directors. Oh, yeah. So obviously John Glenn, you know, edited and then moved on to moved on to directing himself. I very I always think that I'm always interested in editing, but I think Bond films and most of the reason they work or don't work is because of their editing. I totally agree with that. As I was listening to your interview with Andreas Wisineski, he actually said this about yeah. John Glenn, didn't he? He said that John Glenn, you can tell that he's got an editing background and he directs a film like an editor. He's got it in his head what it's already going to look like. And I think that, and, and I think actually, as I come on to this about Guy Hamilton in a bit, I am definitely someone who identifies with sequencing of films I, that tell a story far better. And I think that one of the things that suffers through that guy Hamilton's directing is that he isn't very good at that. I don't think that's his strength. I think his strengths is far more about characters. I can think of all four of Guy Hamilton's films all four have memorable characters, memorable villains in all four, actually. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's phenomenal at bringing out character performances. But I'm not necessarily sure he's as strong at John, as John Glenn or certainly Peter Hunt at telling a story. Great point. I completely agree with that. I mean, if you compare this with Octopussy editing-wise, yeah, I know Octopu- Octopussy has <laughs> yeah. a complicated story. And I know there's all the stuff about the the, the egg and <laughs> is it real and fake or whatever, whatever, whatever. But actually, if you do stop and think about it, it does yeah, make yeah. sense. Mm. If you stop and think about Diamonds Are Forever, it makes <laughs> no sense whatsoever. You know, there's so many times when I was watching this with Anthony last night where he was just like, why is that happening? Because it's yeah, Diamonds yeah. Are Forever. Is the best... <laughs> Best answer you can give to that question. I mean, Peter Hunt recognised this as early as Dr. No. He was like, actually, a lot of this doesn't make sense, but we don't want to give the audience time to realise that. Diamonds of Forever has a weird pace. It has two car chases back to back. It makes absolutely no... And it's got the same thing with, you know, Guy Hamilton and Live and Let Die with the boat chase that lasts (laughs) 73 years. You know, it's like... Longer than this episode. What?! It, honestly, the you are you, you yeah. He does not have he doesn't have a strong sense of pacing and where the beats are. So it kind of makes it feel languorous and leisurely at times. And I mean, the sheer amount of delete. Alfred Hitchcock doesn't really do didn't really have deleted scenes because, like John Glenn, he had the film in his head, ready to shoot the film. Guy Hamilton. Most of his Bond films have extensive deleted scenes, especially this one. And I think that's a testament to, did we really know what we wanted when we were shooting this? I think it is a lot looser. We had that with the Man with the Golden Gun review. It is similar, isn't it? There's so much packed into it. There's weird, jarring tones, tonal shifts in it. And it does at times, John will especially say, feel like it was like, we're in Thailand or whatever, we're here, let's just film it all. Oh, oh, there's this... 
oh, I've just seen this nice um, this river. Oh, we could do a chase there. Oh, uh, JW Pepper, bring bring some shirts over from Macy's or whatever. Yeah, we'll get you in somehow. We'll put you in the plot. Oh, here's a nice boxing uh, boxing <laughs> stadium. Let's yeah, I'll film the see that. It does work for me, but uh, it is more slapdash and. It's it's one of the it's one of the d- debates when you're going through your favorite Bond films is some of the your favorites aren't technically the best put together, you know. It's the classic obsession with Casino Royale, you know. No offense, everyone, but it, it is a well-made film, but you're not going to throw it on a Sunday afternoon, whereas I would the Man with the Golden Gun much more easily. So Diamonds falls into the latter certainly of those categories, but maybe don't have the kids there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Guy Hamilton. I was asked to do Diamonds, and it was a real kick because I'd felt that I'd been away from it long enough to have uh, varying viewpoints, and um, I think I'd like to push it a little bit more this way and that. This was his second. Obviously, it was a massive success, so he went on to do the next two. So do you think he was probably the right man for the time, the right man for the occasion, given the sort of the new direction they were going with with Tom Mankiewicz? Um, <sighs> I don't know. I don't know if there's much more to add that hasn't been said that he is <laughs> Is he a sloppy director? Is he is he just like like you say, just shoot, 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 we'll worry about this in the edit and then it's kind of like we'll just piece it together, but then because we've shot so much, none of it quite gels that well and then you kind of sport for choice and it's kind of where do you start putting this all, all together? I don't know. I think I, you know, Goldfinger's you know, it is what it is, and I, I still love obviously uh, Man with the Golden Gun and and living like that and stuff. But I think um, I just I, I don't know. I, I, I it's 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 a it's a it's a tough one. I I don't think he brings much to it. I think that's the thing. He doesn't bring a huge amount to these films. I think he just he's just very much a hired hand. Ouch. <laughs> you know, kind of, well, I, I just I, I, I just don't saucer of, milk, saucer yeah. of milk for Chris. <laughs> I just think that some of the, and I think that some of the film some of the directors are exactly that, just a hired hand and you would come in, you would shoot it and then you would be off and then Peter Hunt would put it together and then it could be broccoli and it would and then it would be just be released. And I think that there's very few directors in the whole Bond series where I felt that they've actually added, they've brought more to it than wasn't already there. And I think that some are much more better constructed than others. And that's where you see where, where John Glenn really comes into it. Because like you say, coming into it, absolutely knowing how this, how these scenes are constructed, how to keep it tight and not kind of, you know, the, like you say, that once, once the scene is kind of let's not dwell on too much on the details but you know it, as long as this as long as the story kind of makes sense that's what matters really and you can kind of go along with it i think he's i think you look at his career he started off like you know assistant director i know he was like worked on like the third man didn't he because he was yeah. like trying to yeah, work on well on set that was one of his jobs work on that film. <laughs> so and and you look and battle of britain great but again not nothing huh. there's just nothing to too amazing in there when you look at his look at his career i think he's just a, a fairly competent director and that's why you don't see much outside of the bond films that are of note and sadly that's what when you look at peter hunt's you know directing career beyond on her Majesty's secret service it's a shame there's nothing in there that is, is really anywhere near that i don't know what that says about hunt as a director but you know he did direct an episode of the persuaders so he no, can't do anything absolutely. wrong in my eyes <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, now I've done that character. There's just one thing. I was going to say, after after Chrissy's excoriation <laughs> of Guy Hamilton, I feel I need you to must, stick up you for must. the guy. You know, he did, he did make... You know, I know that... I mean, the, the plot of Goldfinger has massive holes, like the two-minute detour to a yeah. you know, car-crushing plant, uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But it's got that... Swagger, that yes. swagger of a Guy Hamilton mm. movie. It's that, yeah. And Terence Young is kind of a bit too mannered for me um, in his three. And I think Terence Young also didn't... I don't think Terence Young was particularly brilliant at pacing um, and hitting those beats as well, to be perfectly honest. So I do... He had Peter Hunt to do the editing. And this was the first one where, you know, Peter Hunt was not involved. I'm not going to say it's entirely entirely him, obviously, because there's he's some continuity in terms of Ted Moore and, you know, photography and all that kind of thing. But interesting what you're saying about John Glenn, because I think John Glenn is probably the best storyteller that Bond has actually had, perhaps with the exception of Martin Campbell. Martin Campbell. What I noticed while I was doing my screen captures for Octopussy uh, the other day was, though, there are so many compositions of John Glenn's that aren't beautiful when you took them in, take them in isolation from the film. There are, there are some that are. But what he does do, instead of have a beautiful shot lined up, and this is what I'm sort of worried about with No Time to Die, because Kerry Fukunaga is is really he's really visual director. But I've never actually loved any of his movies on a plot or character level, or his TV series or whatever. But John Glenn frames everything to tell the story, not just look really good mm-hmm. in isolation. Whereas I think sometimes, I, yeah. Diamonds of Forever does look kind of a bit scuzzy and all that sort of thing. But I do think sometimes Guy Hamilton has a bit of an eye for the trailer. Yeah. Um, and yeah. thinking about, you know, how the film looks perhaps more than how the film moves. Having said that, he was also assistant, amongst his credits, he was assistant director on Afri- on The African Queen, the John Huston movie, which is mm. one of my favourite movies. And apparently he did a really good job of being an assistant, for John Huston, being an assistant <laughs> director, you know, God help you. Um, you know, that his productions were famously crazy, booze fueled, whatever. Apparently the oil rig exploding at the end, yes. which we will get <laughs> to sometime this year. Uh, but when the, when the, when the oil rig exploded, explodes at the end the i think his assistant director i think it was pressed the button too early to set the explosions off and it was only like quick thinking it's just like just shoot start filming start filming start filming as this oil rig went up but apparently he maintained his calm even though he was furious he maintained his calm throughout the whole thing so as a director to work for, and I think this is probably why they kept him on, as a director to work for, I think he was quite a calming presence, which it sounds like John Glenn was, was as well. Unlike if you've ever seen the behind-the-scenes footage of Martin Campbell, yeah. uh, which is um, not suitable for children. So I'm not saying there's a right or wrong way to do it, necessarily, but, you know, who would you who would you want to work for? I think I'd probably like to spend, you know a year making a movie with Guy Hamilton. Sounds like fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Especially in Thailand. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned Ted Moore as well. <laughs> he he actually shot seven of the first nine. I didn't realise that. But he hadn't done any since Thunderball. But again, that was obviously probably because Peter Hunt's gone. We need someone to come back in who's a steady presence because it's a journey into the unknown somewhat. This is a tale of the supernatural. The tape a podcast of the uncanny. 
Do you believe in ghosts? Join me, host Christopher Goldie, and guests as we discuss the best in unsettling television and film. Who is this? Who is coming? Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for at the Tapes Pod, part of the Pod Dojo Network. Right, I'm afraid it's time to go into the film. We we've tried to avoid it all evening, but we've we've ultimately landed here, and we're going to have <laughs> to actually talk about every frame, David, of this film. Every, every single frame. Every single frame. I was very impressed, Tom, when you sent when you sent through the notes for this. I was like, he really means this. This is like forensic <laughs> levels of detail. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah skip a certain God. scene. Yeah. I mean, I think even I, I, it, it, even I might kind of OD, have OD'd on Diamonds of Forever by the time we've done this. But let's go, let's go for it. We only do this once. That's my thinking. Yeah, in detail. I'm sure License to Kill has been mentioned in detail in every single episode. Never say never again. Yeah. Well, there will be a time when we we run out of content, and Never Say Never Again is knocking at my door, and there's that. Inevitable question that needs answering. <laughs> Are you kidding? Run out of content yeah. with Bond. Just for the reviews, David. Just for the reviews. <laughs> there's, there's, I've, li- I've literally had to start a list of all the things I want to write on License to Queer, and it's already three pages long. Really? So I, I think I'll be going for some time anyway, and I'm sure you guys will be as well. No, it's going running, which is what we. Brilliant. Maybe our wives and husbands and partners don't like, but uh, yeah, we like it. Sorry. So, uh, <laughs> the gun barrel sequence. Connery's mm. back in the lead role, and the bomb theme is played by an electric guitar, and it's and it's like a blued gun barrel. It's slightly different. Yeah, I've noted that there's like there's ripples of light which you see through it, but it's an outstanding yeah. version of the theme. I think it's absolutely brilliant uh, musically. You've got Connery in the hat as well, so it's a definite return to oh, you, you it bonds back. Sean Connery is underlying James Bond, isn't it? <laughs> It's, it's very much like, to me, it's wiping Lazenby away. All that harpsichord and synth stuff that was going on in the initial stuff. I said, no, we're going back to what you know with Connery with that. And it's superb. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love Lazenby, don't get me wrong. On Ben it's, it, it's a conscious effort to take this back to what the people initially fell for, definitely. Do you think it's a bit anachronistic for him to be wearing a hat in 1971, though? <laughs> they haven't got his wig ready, maybe. Well, no, because no, don't. I just say no that. No one wore a hat after oh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly that. Yeah, Scholars so it's here. a bit passe for him to be. I, is, am I right in saying that they reused footage yeah, from I think earlier so. yeah. for that? I only learnt recently when I was in a quiz with Sean Longmore, who's the yeah, artist who does those amazing, um, those amazing pictures. He's been doing a project based on the gun barrels, so he has an encyclopedic knowledge of those gun barrels and something. Yeah, uh, 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 Tom showing. Oh, you've got the phone case with license to kill. Amazing. I need to get those. Fr- yeah. I've, I've got loads of them. I need to get them all framed for in here. He's he's done, and I didn't realise how few gun barrel yeah, there yeah. are actually are. So many of them are reused. Yeah, it's a faff, I suppose having to remake them. I mean, at least we had them, didn't we? 
I'd rather see a reused one than none at all these days. <laughs> we make the same point in every film we discuss, don't we? That yeah, one. true. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep keep flogging that dead horse, but it's it's good. It's Bond. It's it's he's back, and he's barely in the the pre-title sequence. I'm assuming this is a stuntman. I mean, for most of this this next few minutes, and the dubbing. I think John, you were t- you saying, weren't you? Do you think it's necessary? I don't. I don't know if it's dubbing, but I, it but is. It's, one it's chance. definitely dubbing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's like it's like watching a spaghetti yeah, western. Yeah. It's like Marie, ask Marie. Marie. Yeah. Oh no, that no, that's certainly. I'm, oh, right. I was sorry, I was oh, on sorry. about Connery I, in I, terms of his. It just, I, I just think his voice sounds like it's sped up, like the sound yeah. editing's uh, on. But before I'm that, but I'm a bit, I'm skipping that, a bit. Here, about, sorry, go on, carry it's, on. It's not him, is it? I'm assuming they would, unless it was a conscious decision to not show his face. No. But it, all you see is these lovely brogues, don't you, in suits, mm-hmm. and this guy being thrown to the camera. It's so iconic. This is his kids. <laughs> the way the guy slots into place, like his head stops, doesn't it, perfectly. <laughs> And then, I mean, it's a massive dubbing again, isn't it? Kai! Kai! Cairo! 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 He's not don't even move. Another buzz around. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Um, nice oriental music, though, John. And, well, it's obviously following on from You Only Live Twice. Yeah, I mean, that's it. It's just it's come straight out of the volcano. <laughs> he's got changed. He's gone back to, he's gone back to Henderson's oh, well. apartment. And he's just like ripped a guy through one of those one of the one through one of those um, sheets yeah. or whatever they are, Pine, and that's when the film starts for me. We're on. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting you say Oriental music because you, do you know um, some of you've got like a literature background? Do you, you know the idea of Orientalism? Please tell us. The, the uh, it's not used in it's not used in a negative sense. But a guy called Edward Said, I think, he came up. With, he basically observed that um, Western literature, and he used books, but he also, I think, he, he might have brought Bond into it at one point. But he basically pointed out um, that so many depictions of foreign cultures are done from a, a particularly a European but a Western point of view. And I just think this opening <laughs> title sequence is like the ultimate yeah. travelogue for which is which is which is Absolutely. Bond, which is Bond full stop because it's all you know. It's not meant as a negative or a lot of people think oh that's Orientalist and they mean it pejoratively to say oh that's really kind of racist or whatever whatever whatever. But it's just like so it's so camp so cheesy that you know you've got this you know Japanese screen to throw someone through and this music which is clearly not Japanese I mean the, 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 you know the You Only Live Twice score is not in the I'm not a music I'm not a a, a, a a decent musician by any stretch but you know um, the music for You Only Live Twice is not Japanese music it's yeah, what yeah, we think Japanese music sounds like and this this is like the ultimate compression of that Orientalism of yes we're going to <laughs> Japan we're going to um, a casino Fez. in Cairo. <laughs> then we're going to—I don't even know where. Where? Yeah, well, that's fe- the point. Get <laughs> a Fez. Yeah, it's great. Which is based from Morocco. Yeah. Yes. True. Yeah. Mm. Which I, mm. I mean, I, I looked at that yesterday, and I'm like, that's really ropey. I've got to say, it's all the time. <laughs> I just, I just, I love it though because it, some of my favourite music in all Bond films is the travelogue yeah. music, and I think they've really, particularly the last two films. I love Thomas Newman music, but I don't like Thomas Newman that is Bond That's music. Exactly what bad we think fit, as well. and a lot of it is he completely 
he doesn't get the travelogue music. It's like you cut to Shanghai, yeah. Brave New World, Don't and you've it. got like a Shokahachi flute or whatever playing on there. That is it. That is it. And I'm just like, no, you, you go big or go home with Bond. You know, you, you move to a foreign country, you play the most stereotypical kind of <laughs> borderline parody pastiche music you can get. Yeah, absolutely. Don't wimp out on us. And this does not wimp out on us at it's, all. It's lovely the sort of interspersing the <laughs> inverted commas oriental music with the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, the proper sort of beat, Bond beats. Yeah. I just, it, I love it. But it is, yeah, one chance. I mean, th- just think about how short that's the, the scene in the Cairo Casino is. Just yeah. think about all the effort that was done for the set, all the extras, the the roulettes, the, the positioning of everything. It's, it's, and, it, and then it was dubbed as well. Hit me. I mean, that, that's, okay, that's your first introduction to Tom Mankovich again, isn't it? Quite literally, <laughs> a, a blatant pun, which I think works brilliantly. And again, the audience must have been loving that kind of thing. The, the, it's, it's such a shame that they rushed through that. Yeah, you would like to see more. Yeah, I, I could have happily watched a bit more of that. And obviously they are just trying to get it out of the way, which is a shame. Do you think that some of it is... It, it has similarities to Lazenby in terms of previously, you get quite a few small shots yeah, of his that's face right. yeah. before you get it must the full have been shot of him. And it's similar in this, in it, to... Yeah, it's like a deliberate thing in terms of we're just going to show you bits of Connery, build it up. The only issue I have with it is is that it's so anticlimactic when you see him walking <laughs> down Bond. towards Marie. It's not yes. like a grand entrance. <laughs> oh, I hate that. Are you yeah, talking about that... his shirt? <laughs> his shirt? Oh, the shirt finally gets to see Bond, Connery as Bond. He's wearing a shirt that every dad and granddad <laughs> yeah, during the seventies yeah. wore. Look at the old, you know, with the lapel. <laughs> and again, it has that. It's slightly, and this is what I mean about a, a grubbiness. It has like maybe it's not a, grub, a slightly cheapness to it. To, to it, and I, 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 every time I see him come on, because you, usually in my head, whenever you see Bond, he's so kind yeah, of well to do. It's not the kind of you know the even if he's getting the first scrap. Three you know, he's in a scrap. He usually looks still great, but in this film, he's always. Like, like I mentioned before, his, his tie is always un, undone. Yeah, he's always taking his jacket off. It's he, you know, and and f- so you get the the sort of finale, and his his jacket's ripped. You know, it's like a deliberate attempt to kind of ruffle him up. You know, rather than have show him as this kind of pristine kind of, you know, the bond that you imagine him, or rather uh, being portrayed. I always find that kind of. St- Bit strange. I don't know what. what obviously, it must must have been a deliberate attempt to do that. Wouldn't be told, would he? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do my first. I'm afraid, David. Sorry, because we're pouring over everything. Can I just also mention? I love how the hat spins on the roulette table, in the fez, the in the background. These are Bond memories that growing up. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> microscopic. I had to just replay it in my head then, even though I only watched this yesterday. I was just like, oh my God, yes. Ask, I always thought it was Ask Marley. Marley. But it's, it is Marie, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> only, again, found yeah. out after researching this episode. What do you make of um, the bit with Marie? Because this oh. is one of the... This is one of the two... Things which led to this film being reclassified yeah. as a 12 by the yeah. BBFC. There's a really good podcast actually on their website about why they reclassified it. And it's partly the representation of homosexuality, which we'll get to. 
and it's also this sequence. And the last time I think I caught this on TV, because, you know, it's Diamonds Forever, it's on ITV. I've got it on DVD five times. Why wouldn't I watch it on TV as well? But the last time I caught it on TV, they I cut, think yeah. they tr cut I, that out. I watched this on my recorded version. I think it was on maybe a few months ago after Sean had died and they showed all his bonds on ITV4, I think. And it goes right up to the... He's just about to take it off the bra, and then it cuts. So you, I think you get most of the lines, but you don't get her being strangled or any of that. And I mean, it's it's poor, isn't it? Mm. At best, it's that. Um, I think the thing that makes it very savage for us nowadays, at least. I've got to say, yeah. kid. Uh, you know, we're talking at the st at the start. You know, aspirational stuff. We we've all learned and so forth as a kid. Yeah, I was going, oh God. You know, I've, to be perfectly honest, I've never had a fantasy about whipping a woman's bra off. Um, I'm sure that won't come back. Even after watching it. You know, as, 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 as much of a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> and I certainly didn't after this. But it's that shot, which is, we talked about gaze earlier on, but it's that shot, which is almost her point yeah, of view, yeah, yeah. looking up at him. And it's really intimidating. It's really violent. And I, I do wonder almost, and I, I, this isn't my thought, so copyright the husband, but when we were watching it yesterday, he's like, do you think this was kind of a reaction to what was going on in terms of mm -hmm. like second wave feminism at the time? And I looked it up earlier today, and I might be drawing a connection where there isn't one here, but um, yeah, bra yeah, burning... Yeah. Um, as it uh, um, as it became known, was particularly um, prominent at the Miss World competition in 1969, mm. which is obviously very close to the production of this. And I almost wonder as if it is a bit of a provocation... No, no, no. I'm probably reading too much into this, but it might be a bit of a provocation to kind of repudiate what they were saying about... So sort of similar to what's going on now... You know, you hear some people online when someone talks about Me Too or something like that, they then, you know, get very defensive and so forth. I almost wonder if this is maybe a bit of a repudiation against second wave feminism. And, you know, what's the least feminist thing you could do in a Bond <laughs> film? You take a sign of femininity, a bra, and you use it as a weapon against a woman. And there's definitely. I think that's probably why we find that goes some way towards explaining anyway why we find that scene so discomforting. It's the kind of today. scene I said before. We don't want to mm -hmm. edit the bonds and look back at them and cancel them. I, I wouldn't show. I don't no, think should be shown no, no, pre-watershed no, no, no. at all. But it is. It is a history. No, I agree. What do they call it? Message in a bottle, almost, isn't it? And it, yep. like you say, if it if it creates this yep. kind of discussion. I hadn't even thought about that, David. And this is the joy of doing this. Uh, the context, the timing that it was in. I, kn I know, going back to my teacher, Dr. Holland, even if it wasn't intended, I think this probably was coming to think about it now. That it's so blatant, isn't it? It's almost like stuff you, mm -hmm. women's livers, we're still going to do what we want. Bond is, isn't changing. Sean is back. Mm -hmm. He's a womanizer. We've gone through his comments in the past, hopefully, you know. We've we've given him a little bit of a reprieve on some of those comments, of course, but I don't think it's about giving people, you know, forgiveness no, no, no. or a free pass or anything like that. I think it's I what, we've, what we've already talked about several times. Not, not for this, which season, is of course. that. No. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. And I think we all learn from those, uh, you know, I, I totally agree with you. I, I find it absolutely abhorrent that any film or book gets edited because it's unpalatable yeah, yeah. to a modern audience. So what Disney have done with some of their things, for instance, like, um, you know, I think what you should do is keep them intact. And if necessary, do a kind of disclaimer yeah, yeah. at the start or not even a disclaimer, but, you know, actually aim to edge. This film contains if you, I don't know if you've ever read any Tintin. But they're the comic books. They're incredibly racist. Uh, but uh, the 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 racist ones have have like a preface which says these contain outdated stereotypes, attitudes, mm. and so on and so on and so forth. And that's what we need to do. We need to do more of that. Acknowledge it openly, and then get on with it. Good lad. Totally agree. Yeah. But we did have this cut for ITV because it was pre-watershed. Yeah, which is fair, and I totally understand why they would cut it with, with that without that kind of explanation. Yeah. So yeah, that, this was actually filmed in France, just to make it a bit lighter. So I don't know whether they went all the way to France just to film a scene, which <laughs> not much is left in the version I saw. And she, in fact, actually, just looking at my notes, David, the actress Denise Perrier, babyish name for a French French actress, um, she was uh, <laughs> Miss World um, in 1953. Wow. A lot of them were ah. Miss Worlds, weren't they? Right. We talked in the Octopussy episode. It was basically a Miss Who, Miss This, Miss That. Uh, mm. but that even makes it that makes it even more cutting and perhaps deliberate, I think. That does yeah, make yeah. sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Right. Drawing a line under that, we move to Blofeld's laboratory. There's quite a few laboratories in this film actually, aren't there? Is it <laughs> um and hey, we've we've we might have Chris particularly might have dissed Guy Hamilton, but it's a great shot, isn't it, of the heads lining up. I think that's really well done. They're getting more and more advanced, and then the actual guy's face comes into shot, which is deliberately done, isn't it? And paid homage to, in Dare We Say It, which Bond film? S- Die Another yeah. Day? Yeah, yeah. With the face Which is oh, extremely the, problematic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> uh, not just because it's a yeah. rubbish plot, but Oof. yeah, I know. Gorgeous models, though, aren't they? Uh, I just find it <laughs> such a bizarre thing. I love it. I love it. <laughs> like we've never had anything like this to the point. I mean, we're basically going into cloning. It, like, or yeah. not cloning, but you know what I mean. It's we're going into absolute. Science yeah, fiction, yeah, that's science fiction yeah. territory that we've never been anywhere near this kind of level before. And the scene before, we've just been talking about a really harrowing, abusive scene, and then we're going into something that you just... I, I can't get my head around. I mean, it's just such a contrast in tone to anything <laughs> that we've experienced before in a Bond film. Yeah. <laughs> This isn't a criticism. It's just an observation. Like it is just so far removed from anything that we've had so far, and it's actually really jovial as well. That's the weird thing about it. (laughs) Is is that all our all our experience of Blofeld beforehand has been a mysterious, scary guy who we've never seen the face of, and everybody's trembling with fear around him, and then we've had. Donald Pleasance, who's similar kind of role, and then we've had a physical blow felt in Telly Savalas, and then we have making oh. Butterflies 007. I mean, it's just like you know, it's just 
It's tonight. I'm not saying I dislike. Tom, don't start groaning now. Those uh, those, <laughs> those one-liners I, are going to I get worse. Not, I will not be groaning, <laughs> Charles Gray. Don't worry. <laughs> I just find the thing bizarre. I need someone to help me guide me through this. <laughs> Hold your hand, right now because I'm just I'm lost. I'm lost. <laughs> yeah. I suppose again, it's 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 the kind of what's kind of popular what's becoming kind of more mainstream well plastic surgery is becoming kind of more accessible mm. for, for for people so let's mm. let's do something with that and obviously it takes a little bit further with the like the voice box kind of thing but again it, it is it is ridiculous i charles gray i i find to be hilarious but also yeah. quite frightening at the same time yeah. in, in literally yes. every single performance he's yeah. ever given and i remember watching this and thinking is that the guy he got stabbed in the oh, back yeah it's quite in, scary, uh, that one with uh, the other Connery film. I just couldn't get. I was like, "Why is he back in this? He's not wasn't Blofeld." And I really remember str- really struggling to kind of say, "Actually, he's a different character. He's actually playing Blofeld now. He's not the character that, that got stabbed in You Only Live Twice." But like it's it's it, it's the. I, I feel that yeah, the dialogue is great, and I think that. But there's also. You feel that sometimes that scenes are being written for the for the dialogue. It's like here's mm. here's how can we get this at the moment? Right, more, right. Why 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 the ba- why the why is he put in a mud bath? Well, because then we could say something about mud Making baths. Mud you know, it's kind of it's it's such no no no, Chris Chris, you've forgotten <laughs> the you've forgotten the answer to that question because it's, it's diamonds are forever. forever. Oh, right, why know. is he in the? <laughs> I obviously love Charles Gray um, Blofeld. I've made no bones about that. And in fact, I'm 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 working on a uh, de- I'm working on about five articles at the moment. But one of them is a detailed exploration of Charles Gray's Blofeld because when I did the Diamonds of Forever queer review ten months ago, I really don't feel I did him proper justice, even though I wrote about <laughs> a thousand words on him. I mean, Tom. To be fair, Tom Mankiewicz said. Uh, himself said he didn't like the character the way that it was performed. Wow. But at the same time, Tom Mankiewicz also wrote those lines. They were not ad-libbed. And there are several lines later on, you know, the the one about the uh, impotent oh, beach boys though, yeah. and all that kind of stuff, which Tom Mankiewicz wrote, and he was proud of writing those lines. So I don't know whether he's kind of... I don't know much about Tom Mankiewicz himself, but... For some reason, he seems to have kind of gone back on his original intent later down the line, perhaps because the public didn't like that version of Blofeld. I don't know what it was. The weird thing is, you you know, we did have the physically um, uh, different Donald Pleasance, and then we had what we tend to refer to as the more physical. Incidentally, he liked plastic surgery then because he took his earlobes off. So yeah. there is a little bit of a precedent there, but you're right. But actually, Telly Savalas was not as big physically as Charles no. Gray was. Charles Gray was actually a really... I actually watched this afternoon, funnily enough, I watched the first episode of... I don't know if you ever watched in the 90s the Sherlock Holmes TV series where he played Mycroft yeah. Holmes opposite Jeremy Brett. So you had two gay actors playing um, the two... Home, uh, the two Holmes brothers essentially um, and that series is Campus Christmas in the best possible way uh, but um, he is in that they don't shy away from showing he was six foot two and he was yeah. built it was a decision in Diamonds of Forever to show him as not physically threatening yeah so 
Weird. Who knows who took that decision or why they took that decision, but they could have gone, you know, bigger than Telly Savalas and more threatening. Um, I mean, there was originally a, um, an, a, a... The originally planned ending was actually a... And this goes back to what we were saying about... Um, Guy Hamilton not necessarily planning as much because this was in it right up until they were actually starting to shoot. But the original ending was a face-to-face combat wow. between Bond and Blofeld in a salt factory and Blofeld fell into the salt crusher or whatever, um, which I think ended up being reused for License to Kill with the cocaine crusher and whatever. Uh, but <laughs> can you imagine a, phys- a physical fisticuffs <laughs> between <laughs> those two? <laughs> I was just like, but that was what that was. A, they could have done it. Yeah. Oh, get excited now. Yeah. yeah he, to go on to Charles Gray, just a, a tiny, you know, in terms of his background, you have obviously mentioned uh, the events of Sherlock Holmes. Get a link with Mark Gatiss in that as well. Just try try and link us as many different things as we can. Chris, did you say the other day on Twitter you were watching The Devil Rides Out? Uh, yeah, because yeah, he's, he's in that, isn't he? Yeah. And Christopher Lee. He's great well. in that as well. And great, really, yeah. anything. It's such a shame that, that I personally do like his portrayal of, of, of Blowfog because I feel that it fits yeah, his film. Exactly, yeah. I think to have any other kind of performance, and like I say, it's, it is the way it's, it's written. I think I think he does it really well. I think he's... You know, he's got charisma, he's got screen presence, he has a slightly awkward, you know, you don't know whether he's joking or he's being threatening or he's just being both. I just think this just, just, it's just a really interesting kind of performance. And, he, and I think he does really well with, at times, the dialogue is good, but at, at times it can be a little bit of a mouthful, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> trying to get, you know, kind of spit it out and be it believable. I think it's a very good performance what he does. I think the issue is that it's Blofeld. Mm. And if you if you called Carl Stromberg from Spy and Love Me Blofeld and you called Charles Gray in this Carl Stromberg, mm. so that exactly the same performance, but he wasn't called Blofeld, it was just called Carl Stromberg, I think he'd be seen completely differently. I think if you've got, oh yeah, yeah. he's that really flamboyant expressive villain who people like because i think that actually what people's perception of blowfelt is is far more that kind of hardline very much like carl stromberg is in a lot of ways he was taught and i think this more yeah and i just think it's the expressive version of blowfelt that people great with but i don't i can't agree that it's a bad performance because i actually think charles gray performs well I just think people can't identify with it because they've so ingrained to what Blofeld is. If you're enjoying Really 007, why not follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram? Look us up at Really 007 Pod. Do we ever think that Blofeld should never have... We should never have seen Blofeld's face? Because... I always, th- I always think this. I actually think Blofeld is. Uh, we're gonna. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the the ire this is going to um, bring down upon your podcast. I think Blofeld is a terrible character. Universally, a terrible character because he's supposed to be the big bad for Bond, and I know he originally was in those three books. His character is inconsistent in Fleming. Anyway, in each of the three books, he is presented quite differently, and. He's much, it's much more, it's that thing where it's much more intimidating yeah, when you don't yeah. know who's pulling the strings. 
behind the scenes. And then as soon as you see his face, yes, Donald Pleasance had an interesting face, but you know, he was brought on last minute to You Only Live Twice. You know, and he came up with the idea of the facial prosthetics, apparently, and whatever. But originally, it was kind of an avuncular sort of, almost like what happened in the Never Say Never Again with Max von Sydow. And he, he was this kind of, you know, almost Santa Claus type <laughs> bearded character. Mm. So he looked very different. And then you've got, I mean, if you see those photos from the of Twice, you think, okay, Blofeld would not have appeared in another yeah. film after this if they'd gone with the original choice. So he's based, so Donald Pleasance is a white, you know, we've seen the white cat before, but you know, the white cat's the best in your life twice, especially when that explosion goes off, it's great. But you know, he's essentially a deformed face. Let's not get into, oh, hey. dis, um, you know, ableist <laughs> yeah. and uh, disabled so, views of Bond. That's for, an, that's that's for another time. But essentially yeah. he's physically deformed. It's he's physically deformed. A sort of, almost like the, flip side version of Bond especially in that really awkward brilliant Tracy seduction sort of is it or isn't it scene later on and he's a scientist in Honor Majesties which is why I love the line later on in Diamonds of Forever science is never my (laughs) strong suit literally in the last film you were a scientist so the cat you know the character and it's a bit like you know, I've already mentioned Sherlock Holmes, and I've seen lots of people describe in lots of articles describe Blofeld as Bond's Moriarty. Actually, if you read Sherlock Holmes stories, Moriarty is also a terrible character. He literally appears out of nowhere in one story, the story in which Sherlock Holmes dies falling off the Reichenbach Falls, Spoiler and that it. is it. I'm only joking. Blofeld, <laughs> you know, sorry to say it, I think, yeah... I think he's a terrible, terrible character because, and I'm not even going near Spectre, because, you know, he's a terrible, <laughs> terrible character because he's supposed to embody, he's supposed to embody the ultimate evil. And yet it's impossible to do that. But in my, for my money, at least, Charles Gray kind of gets the closest. I almost see him, and I put something on Instagram today, actually. It was quite interesting to see the different responses that came back. People were polarised. But to me, Charles Gray is almost like the Joker in The Dark Knight. Not just because, you know, there's a, a bit of a, a, a drag scene later on. But he's that kind of like, he's funny, but at any moment he could turn around and shoot you in the face. It's that unpredictability of the character, which I think works. Would you have just renamed him, though? Yeah, it keeps you on. It definitely keeps you on your toes. Would you, do you think the the character yeah. David is? You love the character, but you think maybe it would have been better, like John said, if he was just Astromberg or had a different surname, maybe. Yeah, call him whatever. I don't care that it's yeah. Blofeld. It's yeah. I think the only reason it is Blofeld is because they had yeah, that unfinished yeah. business. From Modern Majesties, and they end up they end up fudging that anyway. But they kind of get it out of the way eff- efficiently. I'm loving John's revisionist take on the ordering of the series and suggestions, and I'm quite I'm quite <laughs> enjoying it. I mean, it's all it's all a load of nonsense. But what I'm trying to do is 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 that for a long time I've had this real frustration because how much I love Majesties. I'd love to see what it could have been, um, but I don't want it to spoil my enjoyment of Diamonds Are Forever because I do think there is a lot to appreciate in this film. Going back to your point, David, I don't hate the character of Blofeld, but I do actually admit, for me, my favourite performance of Blofeld is still Anthony Dawson in From Russia With Love. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which totally kind, agree. Which kind of, kind of emphasises your point 
that actually if you just had this mysterious guy who was pulling strings but you never saw who they were, I'd appreciate it more because I don't think any of them have lived up a lot. I think my favourite is probably Telly Savalas and yet I still don't think of him as this omnipresent blow felt like the from Russia with Love One. Yeah, agree. I think they should just get rid of it. I think having an organisation or a terrorist group is far more frightening than a single kind of person being responsible for it. You know, we hear about those like terrorist networks where the leader is like he's killed, but then they still carry on. Right? Then become stronger because of all this. Mm. That's far more, and it's also far more exciting because it's like, well, where does it end? You know, you're going to just kill everyone. <laughs> you know, I think that's much, makes it much more interesting than having this. It's like kind of like a video game. You've just got to get to the top. You've got to kill the big, big boss, and that's it. But you can't do that for the next film, or oh, we, rather, we thought we'd end. finally killed off Spectre with silver. You know, we thought. I'm, I'm bit, yeah, you get the point I'm making, but that's a, that's a different criticism. I think that's a good point about Anthony Dawson. I think you're right there, John. But I suppose you've got to get, like you say, with this film, it's diamonds are forever. We've got this villain who's really interesting, larger than life. He's nothing like the Blofeld we've seen before mm. or after. Yes. And let's just enjoy him for, for what he is, I suppose. Absolutely. Make him right. Uh, that, that's where we were, yeah. <laughs> Wait, no, not quite that actually. No. <laughs> can, can we just say about the mud yeah. pies how gross oh, that sequence it's is? It's beautiful. Okay, I'm not. I'm going to try. I'm going to choose my words incredibly carefully here because children may be listening. <laughs> However, they um, fall asleep, David. Right now, is it just me who thinks there's something <laughs> really, really? Yeah, is there something really dodgy going on? Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> Bond drowns the guy in this. Which actually, in real life, that was rotten. That was mashed oh. potato. I found out, <laughs> and apparently they did it the day before, and then shot the next day, and the rotten the potato had gone rotten the next day. So that poor stunt guy had to sit in rot. And you, there's actually on the making of on the DVD, there's actually some like B-roll footage of of them, and he's just like constantly having to be submerged in this rotten mashed potato. So it's it's disgusting in real life, but on film, the oh. sound effects that accompany <laughs> it falling from this okay, I'll say <laughs> anus-like aperture above <laughs> above the mud bath. And I'm just like, every time I watch it, and this has been the same since I was a little kid watching it, every time I watch it, I'm just like, it looks yeah. like someone having a poo. Quite literally being <laughs> shut up for the great night. You know, to, to put it in child-friendly terms, <laughs> quite, quite. I'm just like, this is this is purposely <laughs> disgusting. But the sound design makes it quite crisp. <laughs> Sound design is <laughs> amazing. And the way that uh, those oh, last chunks just kind of... Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Leslie Hillman had come up with the idea of using mashed potatoes in tons to create this mud. And what he didn't realise that after 24 hours, these mashed potatoes, <laughs> the mashed potatoes started smelling. I can't tell there's this awful stink. It was unbearable. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I don't know how effective that revolver yeah, would be. Yeah. Underneath, coming out of that mud. Why has he got a gun if he's still undergoing a process? Quite a lot like... (laughs) It's the last of his wood (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. a water pistol. (laughs) And I thought the guy looked like Christopher Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes! Yes! Vibe about him. Which was, yeah, yeah. That's what I was saying. It was like Scaramanga's go. No one knows who Scaramanga is because he's actually Charles Gray, yeah. and then he's, he's made himself that. That's why no one has a picture of the man with the golden. Yeah, there we go. But how great does yeah. Connery look in the scene in that black shirt no, and that outfit? He looks fantastic, and I, I love where he's. We, just, we, we obviously the guard comes over and he just that yeah. that gesture. He's so that, in the confident role, isn't he? We just so, his hands. It's just yeah. Can I just make a slight point? And it's it's. I don't want to sound negative, but I've just got to say this. It really grates on me how it, I think it misses this film that it never mentions Spectre. Oh yeah. Or that it never has like apart from Blofeld's ring. Mm. And I realised on last night's viewing on Blu-ray. That is baffo does have a, <laughs> yes. a mini uh, a mini spectre sign, but but and that's only the HD brought that through. But it grates on me that like they've got this lightning logo, and and it's I'm presuming it's Kevin McClory spectre problems in terms of what you're allowed to say and and all the rest of it. I don't know, but it it, it, it just frustrates me. It frustrates me a lot that. But there we go. I own it exactly the same as you. It was only when I was going back through my photos from Bonding Motion about five, six years ago, where they had the Batho sub. <laughs> we'll get to the Batho sub eventually. Love it. Uh, but the they had the they had the Batho sub, and it's got the octopus on the front. I was like, that's not in the film. So when I rewatched it yesterday, I was like, wow. it is. But you only see it just slightly, and it, you don't see it full on. And also, you are right, his ring. I didn't notice until yesterday as well. I, I until yesterday, how many times I've seen this film, I had never seen the spectre elements in there either. It is weird, isn't it? Yeah, I put that it, down it, to it just, uh, Guy Hamilton, <laughs> subtle down. Easter eggs. Why would it have to be Easter eggs? Another big name from the, the this uh, we haven't mentioned it is Ken Adam. Lovely, very Ken Adams set. This isn't it. Gosh, the sort of copper look of it, and mm-hmm. it's quite dark in general. But then you've got the lighting on the main, the main bits of the set. And I don't know how they did the effect, but the hot mud, which yeah, Bell, yeah. Uh, slides into. How I mean, it's either a dummy <laughs> <with some hot laughs> or 
something they did to make oh, it bubble yeah. and look really warm. I don't know what it is, but it is looks it dry amazing. Ice? Pumping dry ice through it, Could and be, then yeah. it comes. So it bubbles and then looks like steam, but it's... <laughs> yeah, it's... Well, 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 hell, well, hell. This is the first of my really embarrassing confessions related to this film. I actually was obsessed with this opening sequence so much that I asked my teacher in year six if I could recreate it with my friend during form time <laughs> one day. So I made an Aston Martin out of cardboard, just the front part. I painted it black even though this film only features an Aston Martin fleetingly and it's the, it's definitely not black. Um, and I made a... I can't believe I'm admitting this publicly. I've never <laughs> even told my husband this story. The door's opened it. Uh, but the, um, I also had... I had a I had a toy gun that fired like these uh, little stick things, like suckers on the end. And I figured out if I could. <laughs> oh my god, this is so cringe! But if I could, if I could put talcum powder along the these things and fire it out the gun, it looked like I was firing a real <laughs> gun. So cringe! And I then performed this. <laughs> there are people. There are people alive in the world who have seen this one-off performance. Um, of me basically saying to the rest of my year six form group, welcome to hell, Blackfeld, <laughs> and driving away, driving away in my cardboard Aston Martin. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was, the, that was, that's, that's, yeah, that's why I had trouble making oh, friends but... at school. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> and I somehow convinced my friend to play Blofeld. I can't remember what he wore or whatever, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't a Nehru suit <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Oh, dearie me. You heard it here. Anyway, first, yeah. anyone top that? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> I think the pickups have got their first year of uh, tales. John had good links to the world is not enough, but yeah, the pickups gallivanting uh, with, a, with a camcorder. <laughs> we, we might do a focus on that one day. Or we could just start a new bond. <laughs> There's just one further thing about the pre-titles that always jumps out to me, and it certainly did last night. It was another one of those, shut up, darling, it's just diamonds are forever um, moments. Like, my husband turned to me and said, why does he have a mouse yeah, yeah. in his pocket? <laughs> because he knew that the guy had to do that, and it worked for the scene. Is there? Uh, that that was a scary... Was a, <laughs> but a mouse a kid, That was a scary moment. <laughs> Dear me. Yeah. There's a lot of blood, isn't there, in this pre Yeah, sequence. it was, yeah. Like when Blofeld gets bashed on the head, the little knives, the plastic surgery knives into that guard with the most over-the-top expression on his yeah. face. <laughs> Absolutely love it. <laughs> There's some amazing over-the-top deaths in this film, though, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, we've got Sax that Man. one. Yeah. We've got Dr. Tynan and his scorpion. Dr. Got... Tynan sent. We've got Blofeld, too. Yeah, yeah. Blofeld, oh, Dr. Tynan sent us. Oh, yeah. yeah so I think good. we're jumping ahead. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, get whoa, whoa. the song. Go back. Go oh, back. no, we're just getting We're just getting, we're just getting started. started. Yeah, yeah. Back, to the, back to the mousetrap. I don't know what it is with me, but I think I get freaked out by Bond gadgets that could go off without you realising. So, like, the mousetraps one is that, oh, I'm just going to go into my pocket to pick up a pen. And the fact that you could accidentally hurt your finger. Another one that I struggle with is um, yeah. Moonraker, the dark gun. Because I always think to myself, like, I always think, I could quite, yeah, but I could accidentally set that off by yeah. just, like, holding Nobody my hand up without realising. <laughs> and 
stuff like that freaks me out. I need to have control of a gadget. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd just be a menace, I think. I'd be a terrible secret agent. Anyway, enough of that. Is this in our Bond film that we're going to make? Is this these, is this what your demands, John? I'll just make you score, mate. I, oh. I, won't, I won't have an acting part. I'll just make the score. Deal. <laughs> I mean, there's other things to say, you know, about, about this. I, I like the pretty over-the-top, slightly clumsy roly-poly that Bond does before he, you know, puts the flush down on the, the poo thing or whatever. It's... Yeah, it's technical term. The shower gun is gorgeous, <laughs> isn't it? Oh, it's it's like the best hose you've ever seen. It's it's it's. <laughs> do not think it works. How it beautifully washes his hands with it. You know, it's so. What? <laughs> and then and then how he washes the guy's face. But again, the sound design. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is the Sorry, most... you can't you can't get away with saying the shower gun is gorgeous <laughs> and just moving on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a fabulous piece of design. <laughs> but you you met it to me in my mind anyway. It sounded like an advert. Yeah, yeah. So it'd be yeah, like yeah. um, well, we we tried to get them in the shops. For, tried to get them in the shops for Christmas. <laughs> this shower gun is fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the fact you call it a shower gun yeah. as well. <laughs> Who doesn't want a shower gun? Water pistol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's I love it. It's it's very odd, isn't it? The Blofeld's outfit we haven't mentioned either. Which I in my head is like that's the classic Blofeld outfit, maybe. It's it's so bond, isn't it? It's like all in one suit that is synonymous with these Bond films, I find. I think we could all do with one of those during yeah. lockdown. Really, it's safe. It's safe having to, you know, think of what to wear because essentially you're wearing the same. Like there's the same two thing. tones okay. of it though. There's not much variation in, in the White House. Clothes. One of them is wearing more grey. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So subtle. Yeah, I'm much prefer the, the grey one. Got to be honest, Charles Grey. So I'd have the grey every day of the week. I think I. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I'd go for the brown. Yeah, good. Um, are you, are you, do you follow that um, uh, that Instagram account, dressed dressed to kill? We'll get them on it. We'll say, can you find us some reason reasonably priced clothes <laughs> yeah, from Diamonds yeah. Are Forever outfits? The brown version, or the, the brown version? The brown ver the brown variant, and we'll have uh, a grey for John. Yeah, yeah great. Does he stock shower guns? That's what I want to know. Yeah, <laughs> we need a supplier of shower guns. I, I, I yeah. <laughs> mm. I dare you to go into B and Q in the next few days and say, "Do you stock shower guns in a, in an yeah. partridge voice?" Gorgeous, gorgeous shower, shower guns. Gorgeous. I only want I the gorgeous part. shower guns. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love the score, here, Barry. It's another classic action cue used two or three times. It's used in the final confrontation, isn't it, with Winter Kid? I think it is it used in the lift fight when it, the score does come in as well. It's so good. Yeah, it's th it's at least three times. Yeah, wouldn't happen now. Yeah, it's one of the best of those Barry kind yeah. of all-purpose action. Slightly views. scary. Yeah, I think the only one I like more oh, is the one yeah, that's kill. Snow I love the uh, the kind of multi-purpose yeah. action music. The electric guitar comes in yeah. at the end. Of the, oh. This is the last one we have John Barry for, isn't it? <laughs> You know, as in this, he'd done all of them until this, and then he yeah. takes, takes a break, takes a one, break, one, one break, one yeah. on, one off. Yeah, yeah. 
And as we've said already, we love we love the score. The other thing to go through, obviously played Henderson in You Only Live Twice, which you mentioned, which was I, th- I thought that was another great scene in that film. And he was only forty two when this was shot. You know, when you're growing up as a kid, you think everyone's really old, wow. don't you? He looks older yeah. than that, to be I, fair. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, I don't know whether that's his hair or... Is it, I'd have no idea anymore. It's, it's hard to tell with wigs on this film. I think part of the reason people look older in these movies is that everyone's quite tanned. Yeah. I think that the, it was that kind of look of this period of Weathered. cinema that... You know, everyone kind of looked a bit... Yeah, exactly. And I think that kind of makes people look a little bit older. Yeah. He played another, probably another famous role, uh, the Rocky Horror Show. Sorry, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. He played the criminologist, the narrator. Yeah. So, I mean, again, cracking actor. And he's been in some iconic films, but never... Uh, so Bond, isn't it, these actors they get? In the old days, they wouldn't cast huge names like they do now. Like, oh, let's have Rami Malek. He's just won an Oscar. Right, we can have him as the baddie. There's a bit of a lovey feel as well, because obviously he'd already been in one of them, and the Maud Adams thing, and we know them, they can do a job. But again... I think there was, back then, there was there was a better pool of yeah, character yeah. actors as well. I think because people put off, you know, to, to act now, unless you've got a certain look, or you just end up doing kind of like, you know, just like theatre or something. But back then, it's like that pool of, of actors, it's so, such interesting faces... And, mm. you know, we're all great. And that's the thing as well is that the more kind of age appropriate as well. Like now everyone seems to be yeah, quite yeah. young. <laughs> you know, everyone yeah. seems to be, yeah. you know, when you go and see... Or is that like, just <laughs> us getting old? No. I don't, I don't know. Because when it's I think... makeup as well, isn't it? You watch, Made to look old. You watch like, like, I always go back to like Ghostbusters. They're all... Mm. The Ghostbusters are the heroes of that film. It's a yeah. kid's film. And they're all in their 30s, early 30s. You know, you wouldn't make it with that that age group now you know the new one's got kids in it so it's kind of i just think that that yeah more more equal opportunities then i i can't let our discussion of charles gray go past especially as you mentioned um yeah. rocky horror um obviously you know well i say obviously <laughs> charles gray was almost and again i always try to resist speculating here but charles gray was yeah. gay in real life as far as other people are concerned, you know, people who've written about him. So I, there was, uh, I think the most recent one I found was there was an article by Michael Winner. I'm not sure how oh. reliable a source <laughs> he is, uh, but uh, there was an article by Michael Winner in 2010 where he just nonchalantly referred to, you know, him as his being gay, and it was kind of like an open secret sort of thing. I always think it's really sad that people can't, you know be themselves like Peter Hunt you know although he was open with his colleagues not publicly uh, uh, beyond that and that kind of thing and I'm not saying that you kind of have to be gay to play this kind of really camp kind of very well-mannered sort of character because actually so many Bond villains kind of fall into that kind of vaguely effete sort you know especially yeah, Kamal Khan yeah. in Octopussy you know that sort of character uh, mm. but this sort of push this is almost you know, this is almost baiting the audience at times to kind of go, yeah, we've got some openly gay characters in this film. We've got more as well. And that's how I always feel about it anyway, especially the impotent Beach Boys line. And there's so many lines which is kind of so prissy, almost kind of like he's a bit Noel Coward-ish. <laughs> I know there's at least one article that actually says that Charles Gray's Blofeld is supposed to almost be Ian Fleming and a representation of 
him wow. because he had quite a lot of those flamboyant mannerisms as well. And I've just used the word flamboyant, which is often used as a euphemism to describe <laughs> gay men in the past when they, you know, they couldn't be yeah. out in, uh, uh, as actors. So you come across that, you come across words like flamboyant um, and fussy and that kind of thing quite a lot. But you also find those words used to describe Ian Fleming and his coterie of, you know, his close circle of gay gay friends as well. So I think there's definitely something mm. sort of. There's something meta going on with Blofeld in Diamonds Are Forever, I think. There's definitely some kind of, you know, this is this is almost satirising. It's interesting, Tom Mankiewicz, you know, he, why he was employed, and, you know, he kind of had that best of both worlds, American and British. I think it's almost satirising the kind of English upper class in, in some ways as well. Absolutely fascinating. They are all mm. actors such as him. They, you know, if it was now, they would have come out, wouldn't they? I've, there's a lot of I mean I've done a lot of amateur theatre and half of the old the really old guys and that you know they're not out yet it's so weird and you you have conversations with them and you just think I don't know it's it's another generation isn't it at the time and they couldn't say anything and then almost like the time's gone and then you think is it Mm. Is it appropriate to out them after they've died? It's another, that's another conversation, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you think, you know, trying to bring yeah, this I'm, back I'm sorry to Bond, again, but the uh, <laughs> if you because I could just talk, I could no, no, I could just talk all night about this topic. But you know, the, there's there's you know people like Barry Manilow to yeah, quote yeah, the yeah. Living Daylights. Oh yeah, you know people <laughs> like Barry Manilow come out in their seventies, and it is that generation of it's that generation of entertainers who. You know, for you know, and there might be some very good reasons, and they are out. You know, Barry Manilow has been in a, a relationship for more than forty years, so it's not like he's you know not being able to be himself. But it's that it's that threat about what it would do to your career. Mm. And you know, Charles Gray, as far as I'm concerned, someone signposted me um, to some photo, glorious photos from the early '80s where he, uh, Charles Gray lived next to Ava Gardner in London and apparently they used to have the most uproarious parties oh. and get drunk all the time and all that sort of stuff you know she's a queer icon as well um but it's that sort of they all knew within that circle but it wouldn't they knew it wouldn't go over with the ticket buying public yeah. Before we get to the iconic Shirley Bassey song, we have an iconic noise of a cat screaming, which beautifully sees us from the pre-title sequence into the title sequence. I was hoping David's cat, because David's cat or one of them is is present. You know what? They've just lit. Oh. yeah, they've just literally walked away into the kitchen. Honestly, really? never work with children no, no, animals. No. They literally, <laughs> like a minute before we were recording, they were going. <laughs> Just that like, was good enough. Just, just like the cats. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that was, that's that it. I'll, I'll, you've gone all quiet now. I guarantee at some point in the next half an hour or whatever, you'll hear him cry again anyway. So there you go. He's going to he's gonna punctuate the, the next part of the podcast. It's a while before we get... Very iconic song. We're obviously doing a series at the moment on the Bond songs. This, guys, is your chance to talk about the song. But, like I say, before we actually hear the opening lines from Shirley Bassey, there's a bit of a longer instrumental introduction than the single release that I could see. 
and there's more of the sort of piano going into it and I'm obsessed with how the, the cat scream merges into the, the title sequence <laughs> yeah. I'll just I'll just do that every time yeah <laughs> yeah so first thing to say is obviously Morris Binder at it again this one's maybe more of a famous one than others because of the presence of cats and diamonds still loads of silhouetted ladies and and uh, well proper nudity basically I think it's interesting that you said Murray Spinder's attitude. Yes, that's what I meant. This is uh, this is sure. <laughs> this is this is surely one of the most sexualized openings, if not the most sexualized opening. David, didn't you do an article on object sexuality? But was that about Goldfinger? Yeah, actually, it wasn't me. It was another contributor. Yeah. It was um, John um, con- contributed it. Yeah, who's an who's an ally. Um, and he wrote a piece for the website on object sexuality, and uh, he mostly focused on Goldfinger, but the, there's, there's, the, there's an obvious overlap with Diamonds Forever, and as we talked about in part one, uh, as you outlined, Tom, that originally the plan was to have it as Goldfinger's brother, you know, that was one of the original plot ideas. So there's definitely an object sexuality thing going on around uh, Diamonds. I'll be honest, Object sexuality was one of those things that I didn't know a fat lot about until John introduced me to it. Not John Kell. So, John's very innocent guy. One, he, he does not know about these things. Yeah, not different John. <laughs> different John. This is John yeah, Byrne. Yeah. Um, he's, if you, if you, you <laughs> might know him on Twitter. He's um, not at not perfected yet. Yeah, so uh, yeah, he introduced me to a lot of that because he's got a background in psychology, which I don't really have. Whatever I write about psychology, I'm just kind of... Uh, taught myself sort of thing but yeah it's uh, it's really interesting that definitely comes under the queer umbrella you know if we take queer as meaning anything which is not a relationship between one man and one woman and that's a very very broad umbrella but yeah object sexuality definitely comes under we that we talked about it um, a bit so in our Golden Gun review because of course there's a scene when Scaramanga's using the gun on Miss Anders and I'm sure David could talk at length yeah. uh, about Scaramanga as a, a queer character, certainly. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's I know, a I'm, I'm trying to, time, yeah, but, I'm trying uh, to stop it, these digressions. Stop baiting know, me, yeah. Tom, stop baiting me. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But, yeah, obviously, that's a, you know, the Golden Gun is very, very clearly a, a penis substitute in Man with the Golden Gun. The debate with this one, I suppose, is is Shirley Bassey singing about a penis? Because that's what John Barry apparently told yes. him. Not apparently. Yes. John Barry said on a documentary in the late 90s, a really, really good documentary released around the time of Tomorrow Never Dies and uh, David Arnold's uh, brilliant Shaken and Sird album, he said um, that, you know, he told Shirley Bassey to. because she was having trouble finding the kind of meaning of the song, she said, he said to her, sing it like the diamond is a penis. Yes. Now, Don Black, who wrote the lyrics to this song, said that's not what he intended at all. I'm going to go against that in terms of the when Don Black wants to make innuendos, they are far less subtle than yeah. diamonds are forever. Oh, God. <laughs> well, this, this might have been on his A game when he actually had a bit more of a metaphor going on. Although stroke it and undress it is quite <laughs> it's quite bold, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. I'm going to say this now. I must have missed the sexuality when I was watching it because I I was very much focused on the diamonds itself. And when I was watching it, I was actually saying, and I'm and I might be wrong now. I need to might need to go back and watch it again. But I was actually thinking this is quite classy. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hear this right. This song and the title sequence for me are not in keeping with the rest of the film. And what I mean by that is, is that I think the song is one of the classiest songs in the whole series. And I thought like the whole aspect of diamonds and everything looks a really classy title sequence. I need to go and see the sexual sexuality that I missed in it. Now, I'm not saying I dismiss Diamonds Are Forever, but I wouldn't actually say it's a classy film. I do feel that like it's quite sleazy if in, in a lot of ways, and I didn't feel that actually in the title sequence. I'll go into the song a bit later, but I, I think it's really interesting to hear this point of view because it was something that I didn't pick up it's on. not necessarily saying it's a, a sleazy song or sleazy title sequence. There's the object sexuality, obviously, but there's also there are a couple of silhouetted for want of a better word, boobs. Um, <laughs> I don't know where your attention's... <laughs> or less, though, at the end. Boobs, boobs is a perfectly is a good decent, word. Yeah. We're still in PG yeah. territory. It's fine. So, but not as not as obvious as some of the later ones, and I think he got worse, maybe, as he got older. No. And, a little, and, and sillier as well, like, like swinging women around and p- projecting lasers and things. I remember thinking as a kid, she's not. It doesn't make sense. That, why those like those lyrics and what she's singing about didn't match for me. And I thought she's not singing about them. So I just assumed she was talking about a certain type of man. And as I got older, I thought, well, actually, you know, he like he won't leave, desert me in the night, and all that yeah, kind of thing. So I thought, um, did it was it a representation of like a really good man or or you know person? But then, as I got older, I realised, yeah, it does sound like she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's rude. Yeah. Twelve, twelve, twelve. <laughs> not to say again, not, not to say that it, it actually is about that. And obviously, obviously, everything is up for interpretation. Yeah. Um, whether that was their intention or not, you know, you can read into it. You can just see it as it's a literal thing or not. But I, I always thought, for me, it seemed a bit strange. I think it goes, if we're talking queer sexuality, then it goes beyond just, you know, that's not that's not queer. She's talking about if she's having sex with a man, you know, that's pretty heteronormative. But actually, I see it more as she's having sex with herself. Cool. Her so, jewel. you know, it's that um, men, <laughs> they were, yeah, you know, yeah. they won't leave in the night. They, yeah. She's talking about, she's talking about understanding pleasure from a female point of view, and this is why I think this song is brilliant when it's performed by a man, and two of my favourite versions yes. of this song are performed by men. So, you know, you've got the David McCalmont version from The Shaken and Stirred Project by David Arnold. You've got the Arctic Monkeys mm-hmm. version, which is brilliant, and they don't change the pronouns. They talk about men not leaving in the night. I always think it's rubbish when a when yeah, a, when yeah, a yeah. artist changes the pronouns. <laughs> You know, it's like, how fragile is your identity? But the Arctic Monkeys just go for it. And they even, on the on the cover of that release, they even kind of parodied the uh, Sean Connery sitting in a bath sort of thing. Yeah, there you go. So good. It's, so good. It's underrated, this. And it's, it's, it's still got it's that brilliant. sort of... It's a lovely guitar, that, isn't it? It's still classy, but it's also kind of down-to-earth and gritty at the same time. And I think that about the original, too. You're a big Arctic Monkeys fan, aren't you, John? It's still got... Yeah. I'm a massive Arctic Monkeys fan, yeah, yeah. I mean, what I really like about this is that it's still got his Sheffield yeah. accent really coming through. Like, on his um, 
and his newer stuff, he's very much, especially the last album, he's almost going Elvis at times, like and Bowie, Bowie, how he's, how he's singing. But here, he's, the, the Sheffield accent really complements yeah. the lyrics. I Makes it better. That I don't. Oh. Cause it look now. That's Chuck Berry. I want to see if the bass comes in for a second bit. The bass is the best bit of the song. Good. Oh. This is close to this, I'm surprised. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's, it's really good. Might even be the best version. I, I have had real difficulty choosing between this, the James and Calvin. Says a lot about the strength of songs, first, Yeah. Oh. Didn't they, uh, they play this at Glastonbury yeah. and they got yeah. James Shirley yeah. to come out and do it? Yeah, yeah. Is that the first time they uh, covered the song? Yeah, I think so. And then they did the studio version, which we're listening to now. Okay. Not and is it on an album? Is it a B side? I think this is a quiz, sorry. Should have done the research bit. It's brilliant. We could, we could talk about art Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm well impressed. I mean, I'm not. Nothing against the art of monkeys, but... Yeah. You, uh, you want to hear their, uh, their cover of Love Machine? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. There we go. I think it's really interesting. That it's a, for me, it's a song about sexuality, not just female sexuality. And when you know, without buying into the binary here. I think it works just as well for men. But it is all about, you know, keeping this PG again. Uh, but it is all about, I think it's about self-pleasure, which is not which is not heteronormative, you know. It's, uh, you know, so that's queer as well. If we're talking, let's just call a spade a spade. If we're talking about masturbation, then it's, uh, sorry, I went into teacher mode again. Onanism. <laughs> you know, it's like sex <laughs> yeah. education with year nine. Uh, so, masturbation, children, get over it. It's funny. <laughs> Just get over it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, David Arnold's in the video. Oh, David David Arnold's in the video with eyeliner, makeup, um, playing oh, the piano. Yeah, he play. Yeah, he's a homeless. So, if you if you've never seen it, it's definitely worth watching. He's a ho- he plays a homeless figure, and then there's this down and out, presumed kind of uh, young gay man, David McAlmont goes into his apartment, goes into the shower um, in the bathroom and then emerges from the other side of a shower, if I remember it correctly, emerges from the other side of a shower curtain, resplendent in white, yes, outfit well, I remember that with bit. diamonds yeah. on his ears. He's in his bedroom and he's got a poster of Shirley Bassett as the, as the homage. So it's kind of breaking out of his impoverished yeah. kind of downtrodden identity and embracing his inner oh, queer bassy kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, quite. It's a bold cover, isn't it? I mean, it is musically quite similar, you could say. There's a bit of more of a drum on it, isn't it? Yeah. They've taken the rhythm out of the second verse. It's a completely different yeah. rhythm. So, like, they've put, like, um, they've put, uh, what, 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 what am I trying to say? Like a beat, like an Arnold, very Arnold beat yeah. in it. Like it's on, on the, the drum uh, stage. On the main, no, but on the on the main thing, you've got some absolute great shuffling going on and a great bass line. It's all all about the rhythm in the main, in the main song. 
That was actually one of the ones released from that album as a single, yeah, if I remember. I mean, it must be because I've actually got the single upstairs somewhere. It's weird. I was going to say, as a single, it wasn't that successful originally. It's like number 38 in the UK, number 57 in the US, oh, really? but clearly the, its legacy has been bigger than nearly all of them, hasn't it? It's now seen as one of the, the best, as one of the classic Bond themes, I I'm, I'm going to just say this. Yeah. It's my favourite Shirley Bassey, Shirley Bassey song by by a really? landslide, actually. By an absolute landslide. I think Goldfinger's good, but I do think it's overrated. I think. Me too. I think Diamonds Are Forever, as a ter- in terms of a structure of a song, is sensational. I really do. I think it's a superb song. Well, you probably know my favourite. I love them all, obviously. You are joking. Oh, I think the melody to New Rainbow is absolutely beautiful. I know you don't like the lyrics, John. Obviously, in our in-depth Octopus review, we talked about the lyrics to New Rainbow. That's how messed up it's got. Of course. Uh, Chris. My problem Sorry. My, I know you're doing a whole series yeah, of yeah. one song, so um, I, I know I've been involved in some capacity, but the, I don't think I'll probably talk about Moonraker's not one of my favourites although I love the melody you're right it always seems like it's missing something and I'm never sure what that is it just seems really underpowered it's haunting more whereas Diamonds are Forever is just like it doesn't get more power yeah it's not as epic and that's partly the arrangement but it's sort of the way that it was a difference wasn't it in John Barry that score he completely went to the sort of haunting beautiful melodies Flight into Space Lo- loads of the tracks oh, that. God, I, mean, just, that oh. I think it's like that style of music I love as a pop song obviously it's not Goldfinger, it's not Dimes Are Forever it's almost like one of my favourite scores is I know it's like a, a massive favourite among most film score fans and and apparently Mikhail Gorbachev oh. uh, but um, <laughs> Dances with Wolves oh. he's like oh. one of the he's like one of my favourite John Barry scores and, and he, but he did that earlier in his career like Born Free and yeah. All that sort of thing, but anything in Moonraker's sort of in that same medium, isn't it? Yeah, it's that kind of more languorous, kind of not even laid back, but really luxuriant it's, melody. It's always that same chord structure of triads, isn't it? John, John will help me out here, but loads of his best stuff, I think, has that. Just going back to the song, though, Chris, do you, where do you rate this song in the in the canon? Uh, very highly, I think it's it's definitely one of the best and it's uh, because it is so iconic and i think you know i always think you know a good test of a, a well-written song is the cover versions i think you know how many people have done cover versions of goldfinger and like i say it's not it's not to say that that's a bad song by any means but there's just something about diamonds are forever which is like i say is the right it is theatrical and exciting and powerful. It has all these elements that you that when you, if you were to write down what you want in a Bond theme, it, it hits them all. And obviously Shirley Bassey's Shirley Bassey's she's just amazing in that voice. You know, it, it fits the, the film really well. I probably argue it's you know, better than the, the you know the well, actual film. Most people you know, would say that probably. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, you are right. Obje- objectively speaking, as, <laughs> objectively speaking, I I do agree with you. It's just obviously, as we explored in part one, the soft spot I have mm. for this film. Yeah, and, and like the, and that that the David Arnold one is when I b- bought that album 
on tape. Well, I actually got it on tape for for Christmas. That was the one that I went back to because I think it was the, that and the propeller heads were the two singles. I think the, the two most popular singles, weren't they? Yeah. But yeah, they were the, the that cover version. Yeah, I always come back to that because it's it's sort of complements it without taking anything away from it at the same time. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm not as familiar with the Arctic Monkeys one, but again, it, it's it's great, you know, and it, and it it sort of takes all those kind of all the great things and make and they make it their own. And I think, like I say, that's a real testament of a really well written song. Just going back to something John said, you didn't think that the opening titles were kind of sexualized in any way. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know what this says about me. There's even a freeze frame when the cat is emerging from between that lady's legs. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm not an I'm not an expert <laughs> on you know female female anatomy for quite obvious reasons which I think we've already established. However, you know e- even if we're not even if we take the cats emerging from between ladies' legs and I'm loath uh, to use the p that's word. That's the one here, that's. Yeah. But that's what we've got going. That's what we've going got going on here. Okay, it's not even um, it's not even a metaphor, is it really? Right. It's just literally there. We've also got diamonds, <laughs> which, and again, excuse my rather limited understanding of female anatomy. We've also got diamonds, which are a certain shape. Yeah, whoa, sangreal. To, 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 to quote, what's the? I, I've forgotten the line from The Big Lebowski with Julianne Moore. She says um, when she's talking to, uh, she's talking to. You, have you seen The Big Lebowski? When she's she's talking to him about uh, do, uh, what's the line? Something about uh, do you like vaginal art or something along those <laughs> lines? And whenever she says that, whenever I can't remember, it's been a while since I've watched it. I'm just like, as soon as she says that line, whatever it is, I just think of the opening titles of Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> and again, it might be me. It might be me. It might just be my adult brain um, i don't know to be fair david i think i think you're probably right i'm just very green very naive that's all it is i can say you're very innocent um, very well i don't know <laughs> i think <laughs> what shall i say i mean I, i've got to say this this is wrong on every level but when you started talking about diamonds and women's anatomies and all this it just got me thinking was that was diamonds are forever the origin of the idea for a vagina <laughs> oh, yeah well brilliant <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I really didn't know where you were going with that. David's got an article being written in his head immediately now. Goodness me. (laughs) Yeah, Can I just say, John, that that sentence did not disappoint. It really didn't. It must be green. (laughs) (laughs) It just just came to me. I was like, yeah, Yeah. all right, whatever. Okay. Can I just, like, completely tangent away from that tangent and go back to the song is that okay as i was listening to it john barry especially and you go into the moonraker one perfect example barry is the master of melody he's the king of melody Uh, just you've done it i'd previously done my song episode and i talked about on a majesty's secret service and i talked about the absolutely incredible piece of music that the instrumental is but before that you'd had very much melodic ballads yeah I'd say. And I actually, what I think that, and then you got this amazing rhythmic piece in Majesties. What Diamonds does is it combines the two. 
it starts really well with this lovely ballad and then the second verse comes in and you've got the drum and bass and the shuffle and you've got the rhythm with it and i just think it's a classic example of barry evolving more and more in some ways the next step up is man with the golden gun for him that is a massive step up but it is he's definitely going up that way as in he's finding his rhythm and by the end where you get into stuff like view to a kill or living daylights especially you've got pure you've got pure rhythm and melody but i just wonder if like this is the first song where he's just starting to mix both of them and i don't think that should be underestimated we did talk about on that episode as well it was the the whole moog thing wasn't it for honor majesties and and he wanted to progress musically because there was no Sean Connery. He needed to sort of almost fill that gap with something really classic and memorable. But then maybe because the producers are like, right, well, we need to go back to Goldfinger with Guy Hamilton, Sean Connery, classic elements, Shirley Bassey. But the song is just is not at all like Goldfinger, is it? It really, it really isn't. People just assume that because it's mm. got a pair of hairs vocal from her. But it is far more rhythmical. Goldfinger and Thunderball are more similar songs musically, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Well, the only other cover that... It's not a cover, it was sampled, wasn't it, for Kanye West, Diamonds from Sierra Leone, which won a Grammy, and Shirley Bassey herself is a big fan of uh, that, that, that song. It was a bit of that period where we had Robbie Williams' Millennium sampling Younger Twice, and it was a bit like... All right, mate. I, I, I get more annoyed if I think, oh, will the kids not realise this is from James Bond or from John Barry? Well, the flip side is, oh, it's, it's giving you a new audience, isn't it? It was very much a trait of Kanye West at that yeah. time, though, wasn't it? Because didn't he follow that up with, didn't he follow it with Touch the Sky, which obviously sampled the Otis Redding? Yeah. The, yeah, uh, yeah. Curtis Mayfield, I mean, I, I love it. I've got to be honest, I'm, I'm a big fan of that song. I, I, I like that. If somebody can take something and make it their own with something, I quite like that. I'm not sure, I'm really not into kind of like covers where you've got something speeded up and it's just like a dance beat. I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. I think that's really unadventurous. But actually to sample something and make it your own, I think, full respect to that Kanye song. Like you're not knocking DJ Sammy's version of Brian Adams' Heaven. I hope you're not knocking that, I'm not knocking DJ Sammy's version of The Boys of Summer. Oh. <laughs> um, but I'll leave it there. I, no, I love that song. <laughs> if you're enjoying the Really 007 podcast, why not follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter? Effective immediately. We're not a country club, 007. What do we actually make of the title of this movie? Because I'm always really impressed that Ian Fleming managed to come up with these kind of like borderline idiomatic phrases that have become so... And you can obviously spoof them. And, you know, the more recent films, as you know, Tomorrow Never Dies <laughs> just sounds like... Some kind of, some kind of. Ev- I love yeah. tomorrow never dies. So you know, we all do, yeah. <laughs> but it's that, it's that kind of. It is that kind of um, almost like borderline parody yeah. of a Fleming title. It's that kind of everyday phrase that we would slot into conversation without thinking about it. You know, the writing's like, on the wall. James Bond will return. In- yeah, exactly. James Bond will return in It's Raining yeah, Cats and yeah. Dogs. Or, you know, <laughs> when one the of those everyday phrases. That's my personal favourite. Yeah. yeah, that's the one. That's a good <laughs> one. Diamonds of Forever has become such an everyday yeah. phrase and it's parodied in newspaper headlines and all the time. It's just, 
I think it's just such a good title. And in the novel, it's just, it's like a slogan in a shop window. Diamonds are, but it's it's a way of kind of Fleming trying to bring sort of slight, not quite successfully, but bring slightly weightier themes into it. So death, you know, diamonds are forever. And then he draws a parallel between diamonds and death. All the way through that book, it's all about death being forever, which actually John Gardner then yeah. used as one of the titles of his books. But that is such a punchy, kind of pithy sort of title. I do think it's so good. I mean, the other thing I love about the opening titles is, and this is such a nerdy thing, but I love a good match cut. So there's a really good, right at the end of the titles, there's a really good cut to the diamonds in the scene as they go. Yes, you know, yeah. Compared to the opening titles, yeah. that's a... That's a pretty prosaic kind of very 70s. I know it was only 71, but very brown scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's like suddenly all the colour has been sucked out of the film. But we've got that continuity with the opening titles of it kind of cuts to one of the, the diamonds that Emmy's lecturing Absolutely. Bond on. I think it's just, just I, I love it when the opening titles do that. One of my favourites, um, and you've obviously recently done the podcast for this, is The World Is Not Enough and the way that it, it goes into yeah. the titles and the way that it match cuts out of the titles with the oil slick becoming the, the place where Robert King's having his funeral. I love those sorts of things. Oh. Would you think it would be seen as a bit too on the nose these days if they did that? I mean, not many films have title sequences, I suppose, but you know, you've know, you got the words, the I title, and then of, the match uh, cuts. It's just brilliant, I think. Like, World is Not Enough, Daniel Kleinman did a great job of doing it through CGI. And really? I think, you know, obviously probably the most famous one of the fam most famous match cuts in history is the 2001 A Space Odyssey, you know, throwing the yeah, bone yeah. in the air and it cuts to a space station. And that's not, like, so obvious that you kind of necessarily immediately make the connection, but there's enough of a visual similarity there to kind of be poetic. And I think Diamonds Are Forever is, uh, is in that sort of territory. It's like you, you kind of see the visual similarity. It's just there's no kind of let up. And I think Guy Hamilton's really good at that. And we talked about this in part one, where Guy Hamilton just keeps it going fast enough for us to not <laughs> notice all the cracks. In the diamonds? No, that's a metaphor too many. <laughs> you mentioned brown. Well, we get a lovely brown suit, don't we, from Connery? I, you know what's weird? Considering I wear a, I've you know for the last seventeen years I've worn a, a, a suit to work every day, and I've kind of <laughs> you know I've got more suits than you know I really need. I never really, until very recently, never really noticed the clothes in a Bond movie. I don't know what it is, but I've, it's just one of those things that I always just filtered out. I was never that much of a fashionista when I was a kid and a teenager and all that. I never really caught, cared what I wore. But the clothes in this film, when I rewatched it in preparation for this, oh my gosh, the clothes in this film are yes. stunning. Especially, and we won't get to it in this part, but when he wears that... Um, orange and brown kind of yeah. sort of yeah. uh, jacket yes. um, when Super. he's when he meets Will Perfect. White yeah. after he's kind of recovered from Bambi and Thumper and they're finding out what Blofeld's up to. Oh my God, that jacket is astounding. Yeah, I, I think that and, and the opening scene, well, not the opening scene, uh, we meet Blofeld where he's got that black shirt on. Yes. Looking great. Though. Yeah. Looking mm -hmm. really great. And looking looking like, a mo like almost like a, a, a modern Bond. And I think that's something that they've never quite, I feel, they've never quite 
got right with some of the Daniel Craig's ones. I think because I don't, I don't think that Craig can pull off a suit in the same way that no. Pierce Brosnan can. He's pull too off big. I, I, it's, it, I don't think it's to do with his build, but but but, but Daniel Craig. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that Craig. <laughs> that that bloke. That 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 mark looks better in the casual, yes, like at the end does. of Skyfall yeah. with the barber yeah. jacket and everything. That's probably his best look. Yeah. Or yeah. even in Quantum of Solace with the with the jacket and I think he's wearing white jeans and kind of yeah, like yeah. suede kind of boots or something. He looks great. But yeah, there are moments where Connery looks better in that kind of slightly more casual yeah. in this film than he does Absolutely. in the three piece suit at the end. Uh, but it's kind of it's nice. And like I say, it's just really appropriate as well because sometimes, jumping ahead, but the bit in the casino where he's obviously wearing the white jacket, mm. he does look like sticking out yeah, yeah. <laughs> because everyone else is just like Even wearing in Vegas. jeans or shorts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think those two outfits for me really stand out as him looking really sharp and looking like Bond. Completely agree. Got one of my favourite Bond kind of snobbery lines of all time about this sherry. Well, hang on yeah. there. Yeah, which I know came upon the quiz <laughs> and that's what... Oh, God, are we... Are we well, remember, is that is, ra- does that count as racing ahead? That is microscopic detail, this is. You, you are way ahead. Oh, that's like that's like 15 <laughs> seconds ahead of where we are. This is frame-by-frame analysis, yeah. David. Come on. No, no, no. Oh, go on then. Bond is clearly made to seem bored, isn't he? M's lecture him about diamonds. Yes. He doesn't see the relevance. This is, again, John won't like it, but it's trying to write off Diamonds Are Forever with a few lines. Sorry, uh, On Her Majesty's with a few lines, isn't it? On Her Because it's, it's like as if Bond's just taking his eye off the ball trying to find Blofeld. It's, that's what it's implied, isn't it? That he's not going to be that bothered about anything else, really. Even though he doesn't look bothered. <laughs> Thankfully, yeah, he's dead, I'm- basically. That that's what M. The message is. That's yeah. it. Forget that now. Let's get on to the next mission. I mean, as I said, I don't I don't take too much umbrage with it because of my revisionist view of Diamonds Are Forever being after Yonder twice. So it, to me, it just seems like a continuation of that, and I'm okay with that. You know, as long as I keep doing that. I I uh, I actually love this scene. I think I alluded to it in the M episode. Yeah, yeah. I love episode. I love parts where M Bernard Lee especially eye rolls at. Bond's like know it all snobbery, and this with the sherry is it's one classic. of the best. Yeah, I absolutely love this scene. So feel free to just pour praise in it. You don't need to worry about offending me because it supposedly writes off. Was it? This. Didn't it happen? Sort of, I can't remember who it was. It was somebody who was saying this, and they, they made the error or something, and they wrote it in. Yeah, apparently, if I remember correctly, it was Tom Mankiewicz made the mistake himself. Um, at some kind of occasion and he decided to then write it yeah. in as, you know, Bond, M thinking he's got the upper hand and that sort of thing. Just to go back to, I don't yes. know, we talked about go this back. at length in part one, John, about... On, <laughs> <laughs> stop yeah. encouraging me. I know we, talk about, I know we talked about this in the uh, uh, um, and John's uh, grand theory, uh, real <laughs> life, but can I just say, as someone who spent... As someone who spent around 20 years of their life living in denial, John, I think in comparison, I think you might just need to move on now. Just kind of, just... <laughs> right, right, right. Dave, with the greatest effect, <laughs> it's for your benefit that I advise okay. my views on it. Because otherwise, I would be annihilating this film. <laughs> oh, really? Is this, is this, is this you playing nicely? Coping mechanism. Uh, it's not me playing nicely. It's just, yeah, it's me coping mechanism. It's... it's <laughs> 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 I, I do struggle because I think I saw Diamonds of Forever years before yeah. on a Majesty's Secret Service 
similar to me you. So I I struggle now when M says to him, at least now we can something like at least now we can expect from you some hard yeah. work. And you're thinking, this guy's <laughs> this guy's wife has been shot like three minutes after being married. His wife was shot through the head. What? I know it just seems like the most I know I know M gets more and more crotchety. <laughs> And I'm never quite sure how much how much of that is down to Bernard Lee's real life alcoholism, or whether you know. And actually, Bernard Lee tragically lost his yeah, own wife not long before he died, actually in a fire. So you know that wasn't. I don't think that was at this point by now. So, but they do write. Um, Tom Mankiewicz does write M as really, really savage towards Bond. There's absolutely no love there whatsoever um, in the in the Mankiewicz written movies. Yeah, I, I do. Because obviously I know about Honor Majesties. I, and I know that they don't explicitly reference the wife. They go around it, you know, as much as they can. But if you think about it as it being his wife dead, it's like, you are the worst boss ever. I am yeah. having a word with HR, <laughs> for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. Tom Makovic did make it a lot more like that. In the M episode and the From Rush With Love review, you know, we were like, Loving M and Money Penny sort of speculating on these. What was it in Tokyo? Lads' night out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, this guy wouldn't yeah. be talking about that now, would he? <laughs> he's he's moved no, on from those days. No way. <laughs> I think what's interesting about the scene is that I say Bond's really bored. He just doesn't see what what this has to do with with him. And then is the know it all when it comes to Sherry? But when he gets asked, you know, what do you know about yeah. diamonds? It's one of the few times where he actually doesn't start reeling off. You know, <laughs> different types of diamonds and this is basically <laughs> like hardest substance known to man cut glass suggest marriage replace the dog oh, the girl's it. best friend that's about it which is it great is dialogue it. and it's nice to hear that actually Bond doesn't know everything <laughs> which he does and then we get to like even like, obviously with Rob Rogers with um is it an octopusy? Oh yeah, and with about the Fabergé eggs and then oh, we just class. encyclopedic knowledge isn't it except <laughs> It's a fake. It's it's so good that scene. I I mean, but Roger's the king of information. Yeah, he isn't is. He? Yeah. You know, Roger just knows. How about information? He really does. He just loves information. He's <laughs> <laughs> so, just a walking encyclopedia. That man. <laughs> he refuses the sherry. Anyway, M does under mm-hmm. Doctor's orders. Little character. Mm. Yeah. But Bond, yeah, Bond, of course. Which it, which apparently is that it is a reference to his real life. You know, right. Okay. Hunting. Again. He would have been because he died in nineteen. So he died just at, uh, before For Your yeah. Eyes Only was about to shoot, so he was actually you know signed up and whatever I think. So that's why they obviously didn't recast him in nineteen in For Your Eyes Only. Had Tanner step up, uh, but yeah. So I think they already knew that he was you know having alcohol related issues. So uh, I think that's sort of a reference to that. The other. Which is a bit insensitive if you think about well, it, isn't yeah. it? Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you might have to tell everyone you're an alcoholic. I have yeah. a booze problem. <laughs> and the doctor's orders. Yeah. That wasn't in the script. That was, you know, Sean was probably drinking on the on the job. And do you want one? Oh, I'll keep that in. <laughs> like, not really. Yeah. yeah. 1851. It's it's class. The other chap in the room, Sir Donald Munger, played by uh, Lawrence Naismith. Oh, yeah. He's again. He's very. This era of character actors, you wouldn't get them now. I was just looking at some of the films he's been in. Lust for Life. Still not seen that with um, Kirk, Kirk Douglas. And there is a link with Kirk Douglas later. Does anyone know the link? 
<laughs> Kubrick. No, no, it's an actual proper link with the guy on the making of this book. Oh, right. Is it his yes. house? His um, where Plenty of Tools uh, body yes. burned. It wasn't yeah, that um, Kirk Douglas's Kirk house. Douglas's yeah. house. Yeah, other films he was in was A Night to Remember, which was of course the the original Titanic film. Oh, yeah. that's a great film. Historically, more historically accurate than James Cameron's. Yes, it's more <laughs> yeah. historically accurate than the James Cameron one. I think. Just enjoy the film. Just let it go. The Trials of Oscar Wilde. I noticed. I've never seen the... that film, and I'm and so it was produced di- by so difficult to get hold of. So yeah, so many links here. It's supposed to be something of a queer classic because they didn't actually shy away from you know. Oh, Oscar Wilde was at least bisexual. Um, so they, they don't shy away from that. And I've seen clips of it. It's actually on the... It's actually on one of the making of documentaries on the Diamonds of Forever DVD about Cubby and his early career. And there's clips of it with Peter Finch yeah, playing yeah. Oscar Wilde. But it's so difficult to get hold of. Um, and I've always wanted to see it. So uh, <clears throat> if anyone yeah. knows of any uh, <clears throat> other means of uh, locating well, it, got the Fry uh, then please get in touch. Cubby kind of uh, took a massive yeah. risk on that one and it didn't necessarily <laughs> pay off. But fair, no play in circulation. For, fair play for going... It's supposed to actually be a really good film. So Lawrence Nasmith was in that. He was in Jason and the Argonauts, Cleopatra, The Valley of Guanji, which of course is one of Rob's... He's absolutely obsessed with that. It's the, one of the stop-motion... Harry really Hedders want to see ones. that film. That's one of yeah, the dinosaurs yeah. alive in the present day, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. These are like old classics, aren't they? And the other one that uh, I've seen him in was he was Fezziwig in the Albert Finney Screwed. So another link. Nice. You wouldn't get that now, would you? Uh, he was also in we're, we're casting, yeah, you know, a guy in his thirties as Scrooge and putting old makeup on him. Look it. Mm. Yeah. He missed the Persuaders. Yes. There we go. The Persuaders. <laughs> Chris loves it. <laughs> he loves no, it's great. With, oh, yeah. Love it. I presume they were just playing them themselves, were they? <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like, great. Like the first like episode is like just them in Monaco. Yeah. Just, just like you can just imagine, this is the, the most fun they've ever had. And then Apparently as the series they, goes on, the, the money runs out, and they start filming oh, really? like back in the UK, and it's all very, oh. you know, driving down the same road about four times, <laughs> and then like moving a bush. <laughs> to the other side of the road kind of thing but yeah it's really good it's... didn't they get really fat throughout the series because they kept I'm sure Roger wrote about that in one of his books mm. because they kept having champagne for lunch and cake yeah. and whatever oh. so as the series went on they kept putting on weight so as you watch the series apparently they just get they just get bigger and bigger and bigger hi this is Andreas Wisniewski and you're listening to Really 007 we're actually then, which I quite like, is these scenes intercut, aren't they, of the South African diamond mines. Mm. Have we ever had that in a uh, bomb film before? A bit modern. Yeah, they're, they're obviously, they're talking, explaining it. Yeah, and you, you mm. cut to the scene. The diamonds. There's a sort of tongue-in-cheek, you know, where he talks about the security yeah. and how you know how strict it is. And obviously, there's a, with, the, with the... Next. Taking the diamonds out. And it cuts back, and they're still talking. Yeah. So it's, mm. that's like real time, but then they're cutting away. I, I, I was thinking, I don't think we've ever seen that before in, in a Bond. No. Or have I we seen it since? No, no I couldn't no. think of an analogue anywhere else in the Bond series, no. to be honest. I'm sure after we've recorded this, oh. you know, in 17 years' time, <laughs> we'll think of a, of a scene that matches it. But I really can't... The only thing that I could kind of vaguely think of is there is some cross-cutting in Goldeneye with what's going on in Seven Eye. 
and what's going on in the MI6 yeah. control room, which yeah, is fair. weirdly unbondy as well. Mm. We don't usually have that kind of extended kind yeah. of cross-cutting between like two Wars, different places. Star Wars finale. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Maybe at the end. And in Berlin, is there a bit of. Mm, yeah, I suppose uh, the difference. Yeah, you can have cross. But they're in the same thing happening at yeah. the same time. Yeah, but I, I, I thought that in, in this, it's almost like yes, a visual is, yeah. Yeah. representation of what the judge is actually saying. It may not have actually yeah, happened, yeah, yeah. or, or it's like he's, he's referencing stuff. And I find I found that quite striking because like he's like he's narrating. Yeah. He's, you know, he's, yeah. his voice over c- c- continues over the scene. I mean, it's slightly one of the things because usually M is the one who gives the exposition. Mm. And then obviously it's not, it's Sir Donald. And maybe audiences, because they're not familiar with the character, would just not be ready to just hear this exposition just from a man they're not familiar with just talking. So to put the visual thing with it, it's lovely. It's, it's a lovely, I, I, I love that, it's lovely. But the thing, the thing that's genius about this sequence, which is actually, you know, we've already talked about Goldfinger and the similarities. It's a riff on that sequence about bullion smuggling in Goldfinger. Very much. But without this time, we've got cutaways to actually showing the diamond smuggling happening. But what Lawrence Naismith is saying is obviously completely contradicted yeah. by the images yeah, that yeah, we've yeah. got. So it's actually it a really clever. clever scene, which, to be honest, when I think I saw as a kid, <laughs> yeah. I didn't get the irony. Yeah. I didn't get I didn't get this film. No. Uh, you know, really, it walked the my brain what forever. What is going on? Yeah. What, you know, what the hell? I know, but it's such a clever scene because it's so dripping in irony. He's talking about all the safeguards and things, and yeah. we're watching the smuggling happen yeah. in front of us. <laughs> It's and the cue of the it's guy almost is, like is something... the funniest gag, isn't it? They're all <laughs> and they're all wearing the miners' hats <laughs> yeah, yeah. on. Again, like you say, that might just yeah. might just be a visual representation. But the John Barry chord when he, the guy opens his his mouth to show his smile, oh, yeah. and then it cuts to the desert, doesn't it, with Winston Kidd? But we're not there yet. The only other thing I've got to really say about this scene is it's quite racist. It is. It is. Um, I agree. And I really realised how racist this scene was when. I read The Diamond Smugglers, the book we talked about in part one, the, the, the book that Fleming wrote after writing the novel Diamonds Forever about the real-life diamond smuggling. And there's a really horrible, like, you know when you read something from the 1950s or 60s, and or even more yeah. recent eras, and you actually take a sharp intake of breath because it's that, like, people used to think this. And there's a section in that book which it, clearly this film draws, either Tom Mankiewicz read that book or something, you know, similar article, whatever, because it draws on those scenes depicted by Fleming so, so almost like not shot for shot, but very closely. And there's a reference to all the measures and it's like a discussion that Fleming's having with the Lawrence Naismith type character. And he's saying that there are all these safeguards put in place. And one of the safeguards is that they X-ray the employees as they leave the mine. But because obviously X-rays over time will, you know, they're carcinogenic. They're going to kill you if you if you keep being X-rayed constantly. But it's okay to X-ray the black employees, but they've had to stop... Do, basically, because they're X-raying the black employees, and it's okay to do that, because the white employees have figured this out, 
they they're the ones being used to smuggle yeah. the diamonds because we can't use x-rays on the white people because they might get cancer and die and i was reading that and i was like oh my god I can't believe that someone is so matter-of-factly just saying that this is the and they're not they're not sen- they're not censuring it or anything. They're just saying this is how it is. Mm. Modern slavery, almost. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't know much about diamond smuggling besides you know yeah. uh, <laughs> the and uh, the the film with Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, that's really good. Diamond yeah. is it? Or, really good. You know, yeah, yeah. Something like you know. I don't know much about diamond smuggling beyond that and what we've just talked about, but. Uh, yeah, it sounds horrendous. I have to say, I noticed the racist connotations this time round, and I noticed them in the next film in *Live and Let Die* as well. Personally, as well, I think there's quite a bit of it in there. I mean, that's my opinion, but I mean, I'd love to look into. I know some of the dialogue, especially in the book in *Live and Let Die* book, is very racist from Fleming, but it is interesting to see what influence Mankiewicz would have had on that as well. You might tone it down in you know, terms of the, you know. You might yeah, exactly. I'm not. I don't know either way. I'm just speculating, really. Well, live and let die sort of has its cake and eat yeah, it, yeah. doesn't it? Really, that's how I ended up. Kind of, you know, it's a black exploitation movie, which obviously has its problematic elements nowadays, but sort of also is yeah, kind of yeah. progressive at the same like time. Winston Kid. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, we exactly. So there's always, you know, and for for my my point of view, and we talked about this with the sexism in part one, with the bra around her neck, and obviously those things are, you know, really difficult to watch nowadays but we would never want to censor those things. It's important yeah, to have yeah, this absolutely. kind of yes. critical yeah. debate about absolutely. it. Absolutely. And you absolutely. can love something and be intensely critical of it at the same time. 100%. So Donald wants to find out how these stockpilers are and you know, obviously what they're being used for, all these excess diamonds. Bond gets excited. He thinks he's going to South Africa. And then the producers are like, <laughs> yeah. no, we're never going to go to Africa. We don't We don't bother going there. It's true though, isn't it? We, we've, we haven't really seen... <laughs> We've seen North Africa, haven't we? I, I think the future we should see more of more of proper Africa. Anyway, we've seen the Bahamas pretend to be Madagascar. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. And we've been to Tangier, Inspector, where basically every spy movie ends up in Tangier yeah. at some point. A spy franchise ends up in Tangier. Living Daylights. We, we love yeah. that. Yeah, we can't <laughs> criticise that. You can't criticise the clown in Octopussy. Good. <laughs> so anyway, he's sent to the. the Far, well, much nearer Amsterdam, which is um, obviously another iconic location. And he's sent to find the professional smuggler Peter Franks instead. And there's another brilliant line from M. I've got here another exasperated line. <laughs> we do function in your absence. <laughs> so good. <laughs> With that really theatrical yeah, eye yeah. roll to close out the scene. It's one of the best M scenes, probably, isn't it? So good, M. Yeah, it's good. Really the best. Join us for part three of our Diamonds Are Forever review, where we discuss Winton Kidd in depth, Bond goes to Amsterdam, and we go through the harrowing and terrifying funeral scene. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.